Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 191 of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is Radical Responsibility, an interview with Jen Hyla. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, this is a woman who took radical responsibility for her healing from Lyme disease. She wouldn't let anything stand in her way, and she showed a great deal of resourcefulness. What she did was she used every dollar she had in savings to pay for treatment that she needed. When she ran out of money, she then went to the foundations, and she raised money through foundations. And when she exhausted that source, she then went to GoFundMe to get more money to put herself in a position where she could work toward remission. Rich, I wish Jen was around when I first got sick and I could have used her to shortcut my healing journey. She talked to us about how the first two years she treated with IV antibiotics and after that did an Armin Labs test and came back positive across the charts for Lyme and many co-infections. At this point, she pivoted to a biohacking technique she developed, which is a two-pronged protocol that she developed on her own and talked about in great detail on this podcast. Matt, this woman has now taken the tools that she's developed during the course of her healing journey, and she's now offering it to people in the community. She has written a book, The Limey Survival Guidebook. She has put up all kinds of information on YouTube and on her social media. And she's also now working as a health coach where she's offering her services and all of the learning that she had to undergo in a compressed fashion so that people can shortcut their journey. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce Radical Responsibility with Jen Hyla. Hey, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. So we are really excited to interview you. And for a lot of different reasons, I guess the most important of which is we love your book, but we'll get to that in a moment. So talk to us, Jen, about where you are today. So I'm coming to you from Paulsboro, Washington. It's a cute little beach town across the water from Seattle. Wow. So you are, you are truly on the other coast. You are on the uh, Northwest coast. That's right. I'm opposite of you guys. So how is the uh, how's the temperature there? I mean, we've been seeing on the news that uh, you guys are having some like crazy temperatures and fires and all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. So is that affecting uh, you and where you live? Yeah, la- uh, two weeks ago, we had a really intense heat spike and my in- my apartment doesn't have air conditioning. So it actually reached 96 degrees inside my apartment. Wow. I took that opportunity to um go camp by the river <laughs> and i guess they're saying another heat wave's coming our way but right now it's lovely it's like 75 and sunny and got all the windows open so so you folks in the northwest are not accustomed to having this uh this type of heat that's right i think um my next apartment's gonna have to have ac because this last uh, summer and last year as well, we had like a little bit more heat than I'm used to. So um, this old apartment has no, we just have like radiator heat on the floorboards kind of situation and no like airflow, central air. And yeah, 90 degrees inside my apartment was <laughs> not okay. Yeah. So glo- global warming is having many effects on uh, on our world, and it's certainly having an impact on you folks in the Pacific uh, Northwest, and uh, and it's sort of certainly having an impact on all of us with ticks and Lyme disease, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so let's talk about your background, Jen. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. Knew nothing about ticks or Lyme disease or, you know, really grew up thinking that it was an East Coast problem. I didn't have to worry about it at all. 
um, was very outdoorsy growing up. My dad is like a mountaineer. So he actually took me across the Grand Canyon when I was 12 and um, through the whole Zion Narrows, like three day hikes and everything. And so I was always out very outdoorsy growing up, but never knew anything about ticks. Never thought like a bug bite was a serious issue at all um, until this this illness woke me up. So. so talk to us about your education. Where did you go to school and what did you study? I went to school at UNLV, University of Las Vegas, and I studied environmental science. Uh, my dream was to be a uh, park ranger, actually. And I found it very, very difficult. I was working seasonally for the Forest Service doing uh, botany studies. And I had a job doing um, mosquito surveys at some point in there too in college. Um, but, you know, I was struggling to find full-time work. I really wanted to be a park ranger. So I decided to join the Air Force and I joined the Air Force Reserves so that I could get those extra bonus points and get that federal employment um, and health insurance. I was like, oh, okay, I'll get some health insurance. <laughs> so I joined the um, Air Force back in 2011, um, right, out, right out of college. So um, let's talk about um, first your pre-college education, your college education, and then your post-college training in the Air Force in that order. So sure. you did share with us earlier on that um, during the course of your childhood, you had uh, this outdoorsy life. Um, and, uh, your dad was an outdoorsman. Did you call him a mountaineer? Is that what is, what, what the title was? Okay. So your, your dad was a mountaineer. So I guess that's an outdoorsy guy. Um, and you said that you knew nothing about ticks or Lyme disease, either from your education in your, your pre-college education, which I'm assuming included science and health classes. And, uh, you didn't learn anything from your dad who was an outdoorsman, uh, because, you guys believed, or again, tell me whether or not this was even the nature of your conversation, either was nothing spoken about ticks and Lyme disease, or was there something spoken about it, but it was something you didn't really need to check for because it just didn't exist where you lived in your desert climate in uh, Nevada. Right. I don't recall ever being talked to about it. In fact, every time I scraped my knee or something, my dad's line would be like, I've had bug bites worse than that. And they grew up, my dad is from Buffalo. My mom's from Niagara Falls. So oh. they do know <laughs> about ticks and stuff. But, um, you know, my mom's saying is like, oh, um, Niagara Falls is the only place in New York with no Lyme because even ticks can't survive there. It's so toxic. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I grew up thinking bug bites were literally no big deal. My dad would be like, meh, rub some dirt on it. I've had bug bites worse than that anytime I got hurt. So yeah, I just, I think like in somewhere in like the background of my mind, like somewhere around like high school or college, I must've heard about it. And just thought like, oh yeah, I don't have to worry about that because that's in on the East Coast. So let's now talk about uh, your time at UNLV, one of the top schools in the country, the Running Rebels. Um, you know, let's let's talk about your studies at UNLV um, and what you learned about ticks and tick diseases when you were studying environmental science. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> I actually learned um, nothing about Lyme disease. Um, or any really, 
That's pretty actually a good question because I did do some mosquito surveys and we were just looking at population density. We were not actually looking at like if they were carrying any viruses or bacteria or anything like that. We um, were in the uh, wetlands there in the Las Vegas wash and we'd like set up the mosquito traps and go and we just were counting male, female. Um, so that, yeah, that's a pretty interesting question. I never really thought about like how maybe they could have taught us some things <laughs> about ticks and Lyme disease. And through my journey, actually, I've met several people who have gotten um, Lyme in the Spring Mountains there. Um, I met a hunter who was like, I pull these things off of bighorn sheep all day long. Like there's, I, if I get a bighorn sheep, there's 25 ticks on it. So um, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I never learned anything about um, Lyme or ticks or anything. Like I said, I was really under the impression that, that they weren't on this side of the country. And, um, you know, knowing what I know now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have been doing tick checks every single hike, you know? Well, but how would you know to do tick checks if your mountaineer father didn't train you to do it while you were a child, your, your educational institutions, either your middle school, high school, health classes, no one taught you to do it. And now you're going to one of the top colleges in the country at UNLV, you're studying environmental science and they told you nothing about it. So how would you know to do it? That's right. And I really thought like, if I ever, you know, was in uh, visiting my family in New York or anything, I really thought they were like pretty big. So if I ever did do a tech check, it was like this. <laughs> I had no idea they were like tiny little, they could be the size of a poppy seed. So yeah, I think we, um, I think that's a really good point. And our environmental science majors really should be learning at least a paragraph or two about these things. Um, especially now that California and Southern Oregon are considered endemic areas. So, um, so as you're uh, now moving forward with pursuing your dream to become a uh, park ranger or forest ranger, um, you now you now continue your your education by by joining the military. That's right. So, um, well, unfortunately, I didn't get a job in like environmental science or anything like that, but I was looking for a little more stability while I was in college. I was working like as a server and bartender and cocktail waitress and all the things in Las Vegas. And I was looking at my friends who were in their mid thirties, um, doing the exact same thing, bouncing from, you know, with like, a, an accountant degree and a psychology degree. And they're still just like working at the bar. I was like, I do not want that for myself. I want some stability. I want some health insurance, you know? So um, all the men in my family have been Marines. And my dad always told me like, if you're going to join, join the air force. They treat you good in the, in the chair force. <laughs> so um, I took the ASVAP. I got um, high score and like kind of had my pick of the jobs. Um, and I got to work an admin kind of job. Um, I signed as a reservist, but part of the agreement was two years of active duty and then four years of um, traditional reserve time. And um, yeah, I go into the Air Force kind of thinking that they're going to take care of me. They've got my best interest at heart. They are. Um, 
you know, insuring me. So of course they're going to be looking out for my health. I'm 20 something at this time. And I'm like, just have total faith in Western medicine. Um, I go to basic training. Um, they, there were, there's a point where you go through this deployment training, they call it beast week. And literally it's just camping in the woods outside of San Antonio, Texas for a week. Um, they threw us all on a bus. We drive 45 minutes out of town or whatever and stop. And a drill sergeant gets on the bus and he's like, go, 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 get your gear, get your gear. Everybody piles off the bus. There's a huge pile of Kevlar helmets and protective gear on the ground in the dirt. And they're like, just get your gear, get your gear. Nobody looks at it for ticks. We put it on our heads, put it on our bodies. And now we have to wear it for seven days straight. We're not allowed to take it off except to sleep. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you've got to put it on to go out to the latrine. So I didn't know, again, I have no idea. Ticks could be the size of poppy seeds. Their bite is painless. I didn't even know like really that a bug bite could really de- incapacitate you in this way. Okay, so let's pause there, Jen, for a second. So you're, you're, you're on, you're going through basic training in the American military and you're going through this process of learning how to protect this country. And part of that was learning how to protect yourself and keep yourself safe during, during your uh, experience there. Did anyone in the military during any of the courses that you had taken either in the classroom or in the field ever discuss ticks with you at any point? No, no. And we were briefed on every single thing. I mean, Give us I some examples about, about um, like West Nile virus, adenovirus, which is in South America. Um, they did tell us to report bug bites, but they did not say specifically like keep an eye out for tick bites, look for these rashes, or there was nothing like that. Um, yeah, they did say like you know report report if you get a bug bite, let us know or whatever. But like I say, my dad's favorite saying was, meh, I've had bug bites worse than that. I'm not going to report a bug bite. When you're actually in the training and everything, you're scared shitless to report something. You do not want to be the squeaky wheel in that situation, right? So you keep your mouth shut. Um, And yeah, never once did they say like, we've got ticks out here in Texas, Make sure you ha- this is how you do a tick check. That would have been really helpful for me to learn. Um, no, I never was briefed on ticks or Lyme disease, not once. So talk to us about what your military experience was like. And, uh, and then st- talk to us about when you first started to see the symptoms of what you now know to be your Lyme disease. Sure. So yeah, I'm on that bus. They're like telling us to put on all the gear. And, um, I think about three days into this camping training that we did, I just wake up with a big swollen knee. I had no injury. Like I didn't recall twisting it or anything. It was just huge and swollen and it hurt real bad. And I went to the base dock. They ordered me on bed rest for 48 hours and gave me ibuprofen. 
Um, during those 48 hours, I was super tired. I had a lot looking back on my journal. I'm like, oh, these were all like key signs of Lyme disease. I had the swollen glands. I felt feverish. I had no appetite. I slept for that like 48 hours straight, slept right through dinner, which is not like me at all. And, um, I did not report those symptoms though, because I had been camping and sleeping in the dirt and sharing a space with 58 girls. And literally we had five shower heads to share between us and five minutes to shower. So like I didn't shower, I was eating those gross MREs and of course I'm going to get the flu. Of course I'm getting sick. Right. So I just rested and, and took my ibuprofen as directed. And within the 48 hours, all those symptoms cleared up. My knee went down, my glands went down. I felt fine. I finished the training and, um, I'm shipped to Mississippi and a few weeks into Mississippi, it happens again. My knee swells up. I get all this fatigue. I looking back, I also had some light sensitivity, but I didn't really, you know, tie that all, you know, how was I to know that all these random things could be connected? And I'm in this super stressful environment. They're literally waking us up like every two hours to clean and do whatever they want. I don't know. It's just like, so that's a very stressful, um, environment. So like, I just didn't know any, you know, I'm like, of course I'm going to be sick or like, whatever, it's fine. And, you know, in my journal, it's like, I guess I'm just getting older now. <laughs> like tons of things. Like, I think I need to do a cleanse or like, um, but. So yeah, let me ask you to pause that for a second. You said that you were journaling during this time. Was that just a practice that you had engaged in organically or is that relating to the injuries or the sicknesses that you were feeling? That was just something that I had always done. I had always like written a couple paragraphs before bed. Um, that's very valuable now because you can now look back and you, you have your external brain, which is outlining for you what was happening to you at that time. And you didn't know that you were suffering from Lyme disease and nor did any of the doctors that you were, you were uh, seeking help from uh, when you were at that stage in your life. Exactly right. And, you know, I had throughout the years in the military, I had these little infections and things. I had like a sinus infection that turned into an ear infection overnight. I had a UTI that turned into a kidney infection overnight. Like all these things, signs that like, whoa, something's going on with this girl's immune system. But each time I was seeing a different clinic doctor and, um, you know, being young, I just was like, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, sure. Give me the Z pack. Give me the this. And I was eventually diagnosed with uh, arthritis by the military. And so then they started me on steroid shots. And I would get these cortisone shots in my knee and felt amazing. I felt like Terminator for a few weeks. And then it would, you know, wear off or whatever. And then um, yeah, I'd have all these infections because as I know now, um, giving someone immunosuppressive steroids while they're having a bacterial infection isn't the best. Um, so yeah, lots of little mistakes there in the, um, at the beginning. And I really wish that those doctors, when I went in with the swollen knee, if they had been like, Hey, have you had any bug bites? I would have been like, oh my gosh, yes, look at <laughs> my entire body. I must have had like 50 bug bites at that time. Um, but nobody asked me. So. so, but you did notice that your body was full of bug bites when you were either changing or showering, and that didn't mean anything to you either. 
No, I thought no big deal. So as you're describing this, I just see this train running down the tracks and you're about to run into the wall because you're in this high stress environment. You are, you're, you're getting bitten by ticks, clearly. You have classic Lyme disease symptoms. You're being given immunosuppressant drugs like steroids. And so tell us the rest of the story. So for the next four years, I'm treated for arthritis um, and given, so I'm, I'm being given these steroid shots every six months and then also prescription strength NSAIDs like ibuprofen and Aleve. And I'm experiencing some stomach trouble. And so they're telling me, oh yeah, that's normal with these NSAIDs. We're going to switch you back and forth. So it was like six months of naproxen uh, Aleve and then six months of ibuprofen. And we were switching back and forth. Well, I develop a bleeding ulcer. I lose 26 pounds in 12 days. I develop SIBO. You know, I don't know, chicken or the egg, what came first exactly, but this just was the straw that broke the camel's back. I now just plummet. I, at this point I'm in the reserves and I'm a field biologist. I'm hiking 15 miles a day for work. And all of a sudden, all this weight falls off of me. I lose the feeling in my arms and legs and I end up in bed and I'm just like, what the hell is going on? And no doctors are able to tell me I'm being bounced from specialist to specialist. At, you know, I'm losing my depth perception. I lost my ability to drive. Um, like Matt, I could not really get through a sentence. I could not get through a conversation. Um, my doctor was telling me I had intermittent amnesia because I was literally like sitting there talking and then just would be like, where am I? Like, I forgot how to spell my own name. Um, and uh, I end up in the best gastroenterologist in the city. Um, and he is lining me up for all these tests for SIBO, for the ulcer, like all this stuff. Um, and I know that I'm not going to see him for like six more months, like, you know, with all the, you know, I'm not going to get an answer. And I was just like, I held down on the arms of the chairs and I was like, just guess, like guess why I can't feel my arms and legs, make a wild guess. Like I'm not leaving here until I have some answer as to what's going on with me. I feel like I could die any moment. And he literally like gets up and holds the door open and he's like, well, yeah, you know, none of that fits with what I think you have. If I were you, I would ask for a Lyme test from your general doctor because I can't help you with that. And like shoes me out the door. And I was like, Lyme disease. Yeah. Right. You know, like I've never seen a tick on my body. I'm from the West coast, like Lyme disease. Where's that coming from? This guy's totally blowing me off. So I go to my general doctor and I ask for the Lyme test just to rule it out. I was like, just give me the Lyme test so I can shove it in this guy's face. You know, <laughs> two weeks later, it's full positive, like four out of five bands on the Western blot test. So what was your reaction when you, when you got the uh, positive Lyme? I argued, I argued with her for a good 10 minutes. Like, no, Fine. I don't think this is right. Let's do it again. Uh, this can't be right. You know, just bargaining trying to bargain my way out of it and she was like you know this could explain all four years of these weird things that you've had going on and I think we need to get you um 
on antibiotics right away. Like she was like, no joke. Like it was something out of a movie. She's like, as soon as you get to the pharmacist, like take water with you and take that pill. As soon as you get that bottle, like no kidding, we got to get this treated right now. And so she actually referred me to an infectious disease doctor. And when he saw my test results, he found her cell phone number. She didn't know how he got it, but he like ends up calling her after hours on her personal cell phone. And in her words, rips her a new one because he saw my test results. It can't be Lyme disease. Uh, he's, she's wasting his time and she better never refer anyone to him for Lyme disease ever again. Why? She was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is unequivocally positive. There's no arguing with this test. And she got super curious and actually went through the iLabs training because of this experience. And she was like, oh my gosh, I diagnosed six more people with Lyme disease um, after that training in Las Vegas, Nevada. She's like, it's here, you know? And, uh, and so, it's funny because nobody ever asks you like where you were traveling. Like Las Vegas was such a transient place. It's like, of course there's line there. Like, well, but again, it's, we're, we're all moving around and you yeah. were in the military and birds fly all over. And, you know, so these, these infectious disease doctors in many cases, I guess, believe that, you know, they're living in a bubble of some sort. And, uh, and, uh, if you're in Nevada, you're in Nevada. I guess, you know, look, you, you guys do have that saying what goes in Nevada, stays in Nevada, goes on Nevada. <laughs> so maybe that's, maybe that's created some disease in the minds of your doctors, who knows? But let me, before, before I let Matt take you through the, uh, the rest of your journey, I'd like you to just sort of pause for a minute and look back at how your symptoms were developing and how they were impacting your life. So you had your two years of active uh, duty in the service, and then you, you, acquire a job as a field biologist. Um, what type of work were you doing and what were field biologists at that time required to do? Okay, so yeah, I'm in, let's see. So I've got two years of active duty under my belt. I have been being treated for the arthritis. I'm really not noticing or being slowed down too much by symptoms. Um, looking back, I did have some like depression and anxiety stuff starting to brew, but I didn't have a word for those things. And, um, again, no idea a bug bite could cause, could cause that. So, um, really wasn't slowed down at all. I get my, um, field biology job and I'm actually just working with energy projects, moving endangered animals and plants out of the way of these big um, energy projects like solar fields, um, gas pipelines, um, power lines, that sort of stuff. So I'm doing like population surveys, pre-construction, and then also like actually out there during the construction which is like 14 hour days, no shade, like, and moving these tortoises around and, and other um, endangered animals and plants and ground squirrels and kit boxes and all that stuff. Um, so very, very strenuous work. Um, not really experiencing too many symptoms besides just this migrating joint pain and um, next, neck stiffness as well and insomnia. I had a lot of trouble sleeping in those days and um, 
really was not slowed down at all until that gut stuff happened. As soon as my gut health went downhill, it was like the rug was swept from under my feet. Like, and I was in bed for a year and a half after that. Now, Jen, when you're working as a field biologist, did you receive any either pre-job training from the, your employer or any on-the-job training relating to how to keep yourself safe? Were there safety officers? Um, not regarding insects, but yeah, we went through, you know, we go through extensive training for rattlesnakes and um, handling tortoises and um, that sort of stuff. Um yeah, there's like a, a pretty extensive training through Fish and Wildlife Service to handle tortoises. But again, nobody uh, talks about ticks. And these tortoises actually do get soft-bodied ticks. And I have a friend working, um, doing some testing on these ticks, and they are finding Borrelia in these soft-bodied ticks. They're not believed to bite humans, but... Um, pretty, pretty fascinating. So yeah, the, the reptiles get ticks. Um, the rabbits out there have ticks. Um, but yeah, again, Fish and Wildlife Service does not mention ticks to any of their, <laughs> any of their training um, for tortoises and stuff. So now after your Lyme symptoms began to take off, after you began to suffer these gut health issues, how was that impacting your ability to work and your ability to socialize? So as soon as the gut health things happened. Um, I literally left the job and went to the emergency room. And that was the last day I worked in August, 2015. Um, being out in the desert and the sun and everything with runny tummy is not safe. Um, you can get dehydrated really quickly. And yeah, I was like digging cat holes, like the third or fourth cat hole that day. And my coworker was like, I think you need to go home. <laughs> I was like crawling under my truck for shade. And I'm like, I think I should, I should go to the emergency room. And yeah, like the very next day I woke up with no feeling in my arms and legs. So cat holes, I'm not familiar with that thing. What's a cat hole? Where do you do your, your number two? You gotta, <laughs> you gotta dig down. <laughs> So your, your gut was, was uh, so, I guess, debilitated that you had to keep digging holes so that you could take care of your business. Yeah. And that became, <laughs> that became a, a challenge for you and resulted in you having to leave your job. Yeah, I could not work. Like you're required to be out there, um, you know, making sure that the construction workers are safe from rattlesnakes and things and make sure the animals are safe. If a tortoise gets killed out there, they're endangered. The whole job gets shut down. So it's very, very, um, you know, it's contract work. And once you're out there, it's very hard to find a new, like a replacement. So I'm, I'm a really hard worker. I've always been, you know, like if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it come hell or high water, even if I end up in the emergency room, I'll stay out there. So I really was trying to just like push through and, um, yeah, I could not, I was so, and I did leave out something too. I was misdiagnosed with Giardia. So I was, I was experiencing all this like runny tummy, um, couldn't keep food in really running to the bathroom. I'm going to my, my general doctor at that point. And she's like, I think it's Giardia. I did three stool tests for Giardia. They were all negative, but just based on symptoms, she gave me the, the five days of flagell. 
And during that five days, I was freaking like crazy and feeling worse and worse. And I remember like reaching out to all my biologist friends who have also had Giardia and like, did that, you know, did you feel worse when you were having the antibiotics? And they're like, no, I felt amazing. Like two days of antibiotics, I was better. And I'm like, this is weird, you know? <laughs> so. So Jane, yeah. can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what is Giardia for those who don't know what that is? Giardia is a, um, in, a like a, infection actually i'm not sure 100 if it's a parasite or bacterial infection um but it's pretty common in um outdoorsy folks if you're not filtering your water it's just from um waste getting into the water either animal waste or human waste um a lot of people that do like long distance hiking and stuff get that so yeah, it, it, so it is definitely due to a parasite. Do you think, and this is something that is common in your field, it sounds like, because of the work that you do? Yeah, I think um, I even spoke with one doctor. The first doctor who diagnosed me with Giardia was like, oh, yeah, you get it from not washing your apple enough out here. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, if you're like out camping and not washing your hands enough, or you've got somebody upstream, going too close to the stream or fish, bears, any kind of waste into the water is, um, is not good. <laughs> what I find interesting is that you were being treated with an antiparasitic protocol for Giardia, which is a, a parasite, which we know tick-borne illnesses also generally come with parasites as well. So do you think that you were inadvertently sort of treating the Lyme a little bit while you were treating the Giardia as your, your misdiagnosis? I do. I think I was having those Herx die off reactions um, and, you know, reaching out to people who I knew had had Giardia treatments and like, did the, is this right? Like, are you feeling worse? Do you feel worse after getting treated? And they're like, no, no, no. Like <laughs> I just needed two or three pills, but I still had to take seven days worth, you know, like that's any, any time I've ever been sick, it's like, and you get prescribed an antibiotic or antiparasitic or antiviral or whatever. It's like a seven to 14 day prescription, but you're like on day three and feeling great. And you have to like remind yourself to take it because you're feeling so good. Lyme is not like that at all. So yeah, I was experiencing, I believe the Herx reactions through that whole like Giardia um, treatment. So let's go back to your diagnosis now. So you had, I believe, a traditional ELISA and Western blot test that both proved positive, correct? Correct. And as a result, your primary care physician sent you over to an infectious disease doctor who then basically yelled at your doctor and said, it's not Lyme disease. Correct. Totally mind-blowing in itself. So what were your next steps now that you were basically kicked out of the infectious disease doctor and we're now back with your primary care doctor trying to figure out what to do next? So I actually just called 35 doctors on my insurance list, infectious disease doctors. And the 35th one was the only one in Las Vegas who believed in Lyme disease and could see me right away. Everybody else was like, oh, three months, four months. And I was like, I don't think you understand. Like I am bedridden here. Like, I feel like I could die. Like I literally had written a living will thinking I could die any day. And these doctors are like, Meh, six months four months, three months, whatever. Finally, like number call number 35. Um, they're like, yeah, no kidding. Get in here tomorrow. So, um, I got in with 
this doctor turns out the only doctor in Las Vegas who believes in Lyme disease. And, um, he's like, yeah, no, no fooling around. We need to get you on IV antibiotics right away. Um, we're going to get you a pick line. Like he just set it all up, um, put me on the, on the route here. Of, um, but he did tell me to stop taking the doxycycline, which I look back at and think, ah, I wish I had just continued taking that for 28 days, but I was only given a 14 day, um, prescription of the doxy. And I think I stopped around day 10 or something. Cause he had me start on the rosepin, but looking back now, knowing that, like 90% of free flowing spirochetes turn into cyst form that the rosefin just rinses over, I would have um, done, <laughs> continued taking that doxy. But um, so yeah, he, he believed in Lyme disease, but he didn't know that much. Like he set me up on the rosefin and I go in for my very first uh, infusion and I sit down right next to a gal who luck would have it, had started a Lyme support group in Las Vegas. And there's like 40 of us in this little Facebook group, but sitting down to her was like the best thing that ever happened to me because she just hooked me right into the Lyme community and all this information that like, I had just so many unanswered questions that this doctor just couldn't answer and, um, got hooked right into that, that Facebook group. And it really saved me so much anxiety and time and everything. Cause it was like, Oh, wow. Look at what all these people are doing. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be more than just this IV antibiotic, you know? So I'm, this is a little bit of a repeat, but I'm just still so blown away by this, that there were 35 infectious disease doctors in Las Vegas that were covered by your insurance and only one believed in Lyme disease. That's and right. that one was not anything close to a Lyme specialist other than they believed in it and work with you to treat it basically. Right. And, um, yeah, he has since actually lost his medical license for neglect. Um, and literally these doctors, like I remember going in there, at, you know, I, I got the Rosefin and within seven days, I'm starting to feel a lot better. My brain fog and the amnesia kind of stuff was coming, lifting my feeling in my arms and legs was coming back. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like this is, this is the right path. But then like, I don't know, two, three weeks in, it was just like a plateau and then a steady decline. Like my gut health was already bad to begin with. And then the antibiotics aren't making things better. And I literally started feeling like I was just like being pickled by these antibiotics. And I go in there and I'm just like, I don't know that this is the, the right thing for me. You know, like what other options do I have? You know, I'm just trying to have a conversation with him. And he looks up from my chart and he goes, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I was like, get better. <laughs> like, I want to get back to work, man. Like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? What do I want to do? You're the one who's supposed to know. And that really shoved me into the direction of like, okay, I'm gonna find these like Lyme literate physicians, like my insurance is like, I'm on military insurance at this time too. So like, thank God they actually did pay for, for a big portion of my treatments. But, um, I knew that it was like, I knew I was gonna have to start reaching outside the box. As soon as he was like, I don't know, what do you want to do? 
I was like, oh my God, am well, I on my own here? <laughs> so, Jen, a few questions. Well, the doxy you were on for about the eight days, that was prescribed by your primary care doctor while you were trying to find a, a, an infectious disease doctor, correct? Correct, yeah. Did, when you were on the doxy, did you feel anything at all? Any improvement, any side effects, any herxing, anything? I felt awful. Yeah, I felt like awful. Were you, were you warned <laughs> that doxy or antibiotics can cause herxing and what herxing is by your doctor? No, I did not know anything about herxing. I didn't know anything about the diaz. I didn't even know that it could make me allergic to the sun. Now, fast, <laughs> but fast forward, now you're with an infectious disease specialist and Lyme is an infectious disease. So therefore he should be a specialist in Lyme. Did he warn you about herxing or any of the side effects that you can get with, with extreme IV antibiotics, which you now were on? No, no, he did not. So, after so he this- tells me to stop the doxycycline and start one gram a day of rocephin. And good luck. Oh, and when the pick line, this was the most messed up thing too. He got like, I'm like freaking out about getting this pick line. I'm asking a bazillion questions. He's like, oh no, it's just a tiny tube that goes in your arm. Just this little tiny tube. No big deal. You can still do your yoga and you're going to be fine. It's just a tiny little tube. We'll just put plastic over it when you shower. No big deal. Uh, I go home and I tell my roommate, like, oh my God, I'm getting a pick line. Like they don't even give you an appointment. It's like the nurse calls when you're ready, she's ready and you rush over there for them to shove this thing in your arm. And she was like, oh my God. Yeah. That goes to your heart. And I was like, what? And she pulls up a photo of it on the photo, like a diagram. And I had a straight panic attack. Like she had to go get me a paper bag and tell me to put my head between my knees. Cause I was like, Oh my God, that's not what he said at all. <laughs> Thank God I told her and she knew like her mom had gone through cancer treatment and she knew about what a pick line was and stuff because I would have gone in there expecting a stint to be put in. That's the way he described it. And it was this massive tube going into my, up to my heart valve. It so is a big deal. <laughs> as comical as this is now for us to laugh at looking back, it obviously wasn't comical at the time. And I think the biggest takeaway I'm having is anybody listening who's suffering from chronic Lyme, never, ever, ever go to Las Vegas for treatment is what I'm hearing. <laughs> That's right. Well, this doctor's actually lost his license now, so. And he was the only one who actually believed in Lyme anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, probably steer clear of Vegas. So, so tell us now, you realize, all right, shit, I'm on my own. And you start to look for more Lyme literate specialists. So what was that journey like and, and who did you end up finding to treat with after being so poorly treated by these doctors that were local? So then I start, well, I actually did the um, ILADS provider uh, referral thing where they send you like three random doctors. And back then it took two weeks to get these three random doctors and two of them were psychologists and one of them, <laughs> one of them was a regular um, MD. And so I wanted an MD as well, because I uh, am going through, you know, I'm still in the military at this point and the military doctors won't even listen to a naturopath at all. Like they won't even take me seriously if I'm like my naturopath said something. So I'm looking for an MD. I find one in LA through the ILADS thing and um, start traveling back and forth. Um, I spend my entire life savings in the, in the first year and a half of treatment going, you know, to LA, getting these like out of the box treatments, IV ozone, 
IV peroxide. Um, he tries to talk me into doing hyperbaric chamber treatments. Um, I'm doing just about, I threw like the entire kitchen sink at it. I'm doing the Rosethid through this infectious disease doctor while traveling to LA and doing everything under the sun with this guy. So you're doing and, both. You're uh, still treating with this guy in, in Las Vegas. And now you're also treating with this new doctor in LA. That's right. And did you ever end up doing the hyperbaric oxygen therapy or is that something that you, you chose not to do? I chose not to do that one. Yeah. So I do want to ask though, so how long were you on the IV Rocephin before you ended up finding this doctor and treating with this doctor in LA? So altogether, I did eight months of Rocephin. Um, and probably the last four months of it, I was seeing the guy in LA. Um, and he was just like, he was actually excited that I had a pick line because he was like, oh, we'll just do all these super expensive vitamin infusions and whatnot through your pick line. <laughs> Like, oh, great. Um, here's my checkbook. So, uh, <laughs> but Jen, real, real quick, with the, with the first four months of IVRSF and before you started treating with this doctor in LA, were you, were you seeing any benefits, any improvements, any gains in your healing journey from that, from that IV treatment? Yeah, I saw huge improvements the first two weeks. And then after that, it felt like it was doing me more harm, honestly. Consistently. So the first several weeks you felt good. And then after that, it was just a steady decline until you started with your new doctor. Now that's right. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say I felt good, but I got the feeling of my arms and legs back and I was out, you know, I was able to walk from my bed to the bathroom. I was actually able to walk around the block, um, after about two weeks of Rosefin, but that was far from the 15 miles that I was doing, you know, <laughs> every day. And I was still experiencing a lot of pain and um, cognitive issues, but I was very excited to have the feeling of my arm and legs back. And I was like, oh, this Rosefin is going to be the, the ticket, you know, but um, after that, like initial, initial um, relief, it was like, just steady, steady, slow decline. I feel like maybe I plateaued for like a week or two where I was just feeling nothing. Um, but every time I did the Rosefin, um, I was out like a light, like I would sleep for like 16, 20 hours. Um, and then just, yeah, I just started like either my gut health was getting worse or I was really struggling to keep weight on. I was like 99 pounds soaking wet. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like if I had continued on the antibiotic route, my gut health would have just continued deteriorating. So at some point, um, you know, after the eight months, I realized like, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure what is leftover symptoms and what is actually side effect from this medication. And, um, knowing that we have both beneficial and harmful bacteria and like, you know, our bodies, this microbiome and these antibiotics are just like a nuclear bomb going off, killing everything. Like, so I thought, you know, if I give myself a chance to, um, clear out this antibiotic, I can see what's left over, what's going on for me. So I just, I got the pick line pulled and quit for everything for four months. Okay, so before, I'm sorry to interrupt, but before we get there, I do wanna just follow up with a couple of questions about the latter part of your eight month window here. So for the final four months, when you're treating with two doctors and in including the doctor in LA, 
you did mention that this doctor cost an arm and a leg. So I'm assuming it wasn't covered by insurance, even though this doctor was an MD. Correct. And what else did you do? So you mentioned IV ozone, IV peroxide, and what else did you do with this doctor in LA? Um, We did a lot of herbal treatments, Um, artemisinin, gosh, what else? It was so long ago now. Yeah, I think just like a ton of different herbs and, um, you know, he was wanting me to go there every two weeks for blood ozone and um, like I would go there for two days at a time and I would get blood ozone one day and a vitamin infusion the next day um but nothing really for your gut health there was there wasn't really I guess the herbals probably were addressing your gut health a little bit yeah he yeah he was really focused on just killing bacteria just kill 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 um it wasn't until I read this book called 10% human that I really started to get interested in rebuilding my my healthy bacteria and actually healing my body um and that's around the time that I decided to pull the pick line and just see like what was actually happening. Um, because I really did. I felt like I was just like getting pickled by these antibiotics. And uh, what do you mean by pickled, Jen? I'm sorry. Can you clarify that? Like, yeah, I just like my blood wasn't flowing properly. And like, I just, I developed pots really bad. I couldn't even do like, I couldn't even do any of my yoga stuff that I do, if you know, cat cow, where you like put your head down and tilt it up, that was enough to black me out. Like it was so bad. And, um, I just felt like it was doing me more harm than good, you know? And that was just like a intuitive feeling like, you know, and anytime I had to like take my antibiotic, I was like, you know, (laughs) so I just like intuitively was like, I don't think this is right. I'm going to pull everything and just stop everything for four months. One more question. I'm sorry. One more question before we get to that part. So the ozone specifically, did you, do you believe that the ozone was helpful or in hindsight, looking back, is that something that you would not have made the decision to do knowing what you know now? I would skip it now. I would skip it. I know it's a, it seems to be a silver bullet for a lot of people, but for me, uh, it, really wasn't. I had like a little bit of hurt seeing maybe the first two infusions and then all the other ones did nothing for me. Like I didn't feel a hurt. I didn't feel an improvement in energy. I felt nothing. It was like saline, you know, it actually wasn't even as good as saline because saline used to give me a little bit more energy, but it was very, very expensive. And, um, you know, knowing what I know now, I'm, I'm now super into breath work. And if I think if I could have just done that first, um, instead of the blood ozone and the hydrogen peroxide, like anything that I was doing to oxygenate my body, um, I think could have been done for free (laughs) through the breath work. Okay. We're definitely going to get to that. So now we're finally up to the part where you pulled the pick line out and you said, all right, let's see where I'm really at here. What's, what is being, what symptoms are being caused by the medication and what symptoms have really been relieved and what happened? What symptoms went away? What symptoms remained? And how did you feel at that time? Yeah. So I felt, um, excited when I got it pulled, I was like, okay, yay, I'm going to go swimming. (laughs) And, um, 
get some sun and like see what's going on. And um, I pretty much just started um, getting worse right away. And like by the time the four months was up, I was like, oh, this was not a good decision for me. You know, the the numbness and tingling in my arms and legs is coming back um, at, by the end of that four months. And um, I was like, oh, okay, this is still here. <laughs> this is still an issue. And um, let's see, oh no, it was two years. Two years into treatment, I actually did do a DNA connections test to see if it was still like, maybe I'm dealing with something else or whatever. And I still did have Borrelia. I had two actual, I had two species of Borrelia, um, Recurrientis and Burgdorferi and Ehrlichia. And still to this day, no one has ever talked to me about Ehrlichia. <laughs> so you had, you had Lyme and several co-infections active in your body after eight months of treating with IV antibiotics. Two years. Two, yeah. this, was, this was two years so later. I had eight months of antibiotics and then a year and change of herbals. Wow. And I was like, I'm going to see what's, you know, spring for a, I actually did a GoFundMe so I could get the, the DNA connections test and uh, thinking that it could no longer be Lyme, right? I'm like, it's got to be something else. Um, but yeah, they found um, two Borrelias in there still. And who are you doing the herbals with at this point? Were you still getting the herbals from the LA doctor after you pulled the pick line out? I actually start treating on my own at that point uh, through Cowden protocol. So I find the ticked off foundation through um, a friend of a friend. And, you know, sh she hooks me in with Greg who created it. And they do a um, low income um support for the Cowden protocol. So you can actually get six months of it at half price if you've got, um, and they do it for adults over 25, which was huge. Cause I found a lot of, um, grants and things for children or people yes. under 25, but there really wasn't a lot of resources for me being in my thirties. And, um, you know, Greg got on the phone with me and he helped me and, um, he's like, yep, we can get you this for half off. And so that's, I started doing the Cowden protocol. With the Cowden protocol, what were the, who was the manufacturer who made the protocol? Was this the Nutramedics brand? Yes. So obviously now you get this test back from DNA connections and you're still highly infected with all of these various tick-borne illnesses. So you had to think, okay, what I'm doing isn't working. So I guess number one, talk to us about what was it like emotionally and psychologically for you to realize the last two years, I haven't made much progress. And then how did you proceed forward after having that realization? Yeah, so it was very frustrating. And I felt like, you know, that meme of the guy throwing up the papers and walking away. Yes. <laughs> that was me. I legit like took a garbage bag and just swept all my medicine <laughs> into the garbage and was just like, ah. I don't know, like what's, what's left to try, you know? And, um, yeah, that's when I really started shifting from the kill, kill, kill mentality to like, 
okay, I can heal from this thing because like going back to my roommate who knew about the pick line, she actually grew up in Pennsylvania. She built trails out there. She's been covered head to toe with ticks. She said she used to pull like 12 of her, 12 of them off of her. And she's sitting there feeling great. And I'm here, maybe got one or two tick bites that I didn't even see. And I feel like I'm on death's door. So in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I think there's millions of people walking around with Lyme that feel great right now. So why not me? You know, and I start looking into biohacking and just taking like radical responsibility for my health. And instead of this kill, kill, kill all the bacteria, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to support my immune system. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to help my body flush out these toxins and, um, kill off the damaged cells. And, you know, I think that over time, this could really, really help. So I just, I stopped the Cowden protocol at this point because I've got now mast cell activation syndrome or histamine intolerance. So instead of experiencing a Herx reaction from the herbs, I'm now experiencing a histamine response within 15 seconds of taking this medicine. So I, um, I get, I had already gotten my DNA done at this point and I, I get in with Bob Miller, who's a genetic counselor and I have a really interesting conversation with him. And he's basically telling me like, oh yeah, I wouldn't do any of that stuff that you're doing that NAC, the bone broth, the, this, that, the other, like you can't process this. Your body is having some real problems processing histamine before you even got Lyme. Now that you got Lyme and mast cell activation is a, is a natural progression of Lyme. And we've really got to take care of these histamine things. And of course he wants me to buy all these specialty supplements from him. And, um, that's a whole story, but I, I, I did expect like his supplements to do a lot more than they did, but the histamine was a huge trigger for me. And once I started to realize that, and, um, and really just support my body with the detox and diet and also like paying attention to where I was putting my energy and my environment. Um, I started to start, I started to feel a lot better. So, so Jen, let's talk about the difference between the two theories that people have in treating Lyme. The first of which you started with, which was the kill protocol. And you really didn't do anything else. It seems like for the most part, you really just focused heavily on killing the various bacteria, viruses, protozoa, parasites, et cetera, that you may have had. Then once you realized you weren't getting better after two years, you pivoted to what you described as biohacking. So can you describe for us just in simple terms, what is biohacking and how is it different than the traditional kill protocol that we're so used to hearing about just killing whatever may be making us ill? Yeah, so the biohacking is really looking at like the holistic function of your body and um, and realizing that we don't have all the answers, you know, it's like becoming your own like citizen scientist and really getting curious about your health and really stop like looking outward for all the answers, you know, and, and start really tuning into your intuition and what these symptoms are trying to tell us. Because I think a lot of times in, you know, in Western medicine, most of us are just trying to cover up the symptoms, 
you take your night quill or your Tylenol or whatever, and your body will just get rid of it or whatever. And a lot of people actually just think the medicine heals them. Right. But it's actually always your body doing it. You, if you put a bandaid on something, it's not the bandaid curing you, you know? Um, and it's really like taking radical responsibility for your health and trying to get each function of the body to work as optimal as possible. So I, I really started looking at like, how can I sleep the best I can sleep? How can I eat the best I can eat? How can I help my body digest the best I, it can digest? How can I breathe the best I can breathe? Um, and really supporting those like key functions of the body and just like putting more faith in your own immune system and your own innate ability to heal. So what I'm hearing is it's really twofold. First is to take responsibility yourself for your healing. And then secondly, is to take a whole body approach and to, and to use therapies to build up your various organs, but also support the different systems of your body, like breathing and thinking and cardiovascular health. Is that really what biohacking is in your mind? Yeah, I think that that sums it up pretty good. So when you went to this geneticist to try to sell you all of his herbs and protocols and things that he had, it sounds like you were turned off by that and you didn't do it. So what happened now at this point, you realize that you had to do something on your own to recover and heal, but you weren't sure if this was the right path for you. So what did you do after that, that doctor's visit? So, yeah, I actually, so I used a lot of what I got from the genetic counselor. I actually did buy his supplements and things, but didn't see a lot of improvement through it. Um, I had a lot, like he was the first person I spoke with that had such confidence in his voice that was like, oh yeah, you're going to get over this thing, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. It just gave me that little bit of boost to be like, yeah, yeah, I can get over this. Okay. And, um, yeah, I just, I lost my train of thought. Well, well, Jen, what question again? Well, actually, I have a follow-up question. So uh, you can tell how my brain is so all over the place. But what what treatments did he give you that didn't work? Were they herbs? Were they supplements? What was it specifically that he prescribed to you that was his propri- proprietary protocol that didn't really work well for you? Yeah, it was like, um, it had to do with the histamine. And I want to say it was some kind of blocker. Oh, boy, it's been a long time. I can't recall specifically. So again, what was next after this? Because you didn't have success with this protocol. You now have this revelation of this biohacking mentality that you're going to heal yourself. What did you do next after this point? So I just started compiling all the things I knew um, that kind of, I guess, growing up with this like, man, like, I, my dad has always been, he's been managing thyroid issues my entire life. So he's always been real keen on like natural medicine, um, you know, oregano oil and colloidal silver instead of a Z pack or whatever. Um, and so I just started like looking back at a lot of stuff that I had known before, but just forgot about. And, um, really started getting serious about my diet, getting serious about my environment and the, the mental chatter that I had in my mind, I was going into a lot of the treatments thinking like, Oh yeah, we'll we'll see if this works. 
you know? And so I really started to try to shift my mindset into like, yeah, no kidding. This is going to work. And like, every time I sat down and take my supplement or do my enema or sit in the sauna or whatever it was, I just like had this mantra of like, this is healing me. This is healing me. This is healing me because for probably the first two years, I was just getting wrapped up in everybody else's experiences with Lyme. And, you know, in these Facebook support groups, it's just filled with people who nothing has worked for them. You know, very rarely someone who has healed goes back into those spaces. So I'm hearing, I'm in this echo chamber of negativity. This isn't going to work. And going into a lot of those treatments, um, thinking like, well, we'll see you know, and, um, once I started doing this, like biohacking and everything, I really, I read the book, you are the placebo, um, and started getting more into like the meditation, the breath work and all of that. Um, and started feeling better, you know, and it was like, I actually met this old man in one of my, um, cardiology waiting rooms. I was sitting there at my sickest point and I was just like barely holding it together. And this little old man comes and puts his papery hand on the back of my hand and he goes, chin up kid, your health isn't everything. You've got to live your life. And I was like, at the time I was like, whatever, but that always stuck in my mind. And I was like, you know what, there's something to this. You know, I had been walking around for four years with Lyme disease and just ignoring it and just living my life. And I'm not suggesting that that's the right thing to do either, but there is this point where you're like, you know what I do need to just like, there's more to life than just your health. And, um, you know, I had to like try to squeeze some joy out of my, my day because just being stuck in bed watching SVU <laughs> was not working. Great, great show, by the way. But just to be fair to yourself, though, Jen, you just said that you were walking around for four years with Lyme and not doing anything. You didn't know you had Lyme for those four years. You were looking for your diagnosis and you were right. actively pursuing doctors but you were being failed time and time again by doctors. So that's really, to be fair, it wasn't, it wasn't you walking around doing nothing about your, your disease. And then the, to follow up on your, your comment about what this, this gentleman had told you in your cardiologist appointment, I think it has to go with that you are able to live a happy and productive and successful life, even if you are not in remission and even if you are still sick. And I think that's what you're saying, that we have to be able to enjoy our lives despite what our health may be presenting at the time. And that will actually help us heal because all that stress and all that negativity, not that it's all in our head. I'm not saying this is a mental health illness, but all that stress and negativity will have an impact on our immune system and will make us worse. So I think that together it's going to, it will, it will help you live a better life and also help you heal quicker by having the mentality you're describing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it would, in addition to this epiphany of I can be happy and enjoy my life, even though I'm not symptom free and even though I'm still sick, give us some specifics with this biohacking model. And you mentioned your dad with colloidal silver and, and oregano oil and things like that. What were you doing specifically? Cause you touched on a few and I just want to di- dive a little bit deeper into those topics. You mentioned that you did enemas. You mentioned that you did the sauna. You mentioned that you did breath work. You mentioned that you did a lot of other things. So, you know, I guess first let's start with breath work and how you found out about breath work and how it's helped you in your healing journey. 
Yeah. So um, back in college, I actually started doing yoga. I took it as a like a elective or whatever in college and um, was always kind of into yoga. I was very athletic. I was a very small child. I was in gymnastics from the age of two to 12. And so I kind of just picked up yoga pretty naturally. And um, around the time I started experiencing symptoms um, with the arthritis, I, I, I can't even really, I guess it was the anxiety and depression that I didn't have a name for yet, but that sort of drove me to get back into yoga. And I ended up going to uh, Bali and getting my yoga teacher training certificate. And, um, they taught us a little bit of breath work. Like we kind of touched on pranayama there, but I didn't really care too much about it. I was just like, whatever, I'm here to get fit. Like I want to do the handstands and stuff. <laughs> so, um, I was doing that for the whole time, um, prior to, to joining the air force and everything. And, um, just having my own personal practice. Um, and when I was bedridden, unable to feel my arms and legs, I, you know, couldn't do my daily yoga. And so that's when I started, uh, ex exploring the breath work side of yoga a little bit more. So laying in bed, unable to move in terrible pain. Um, just doing these breath work practices gave me such relief, um, both mentally and physically that I just, um, I started doing it like an hour a day, you know, um, and anytime I was feeling overwhelmed or stressed or anything, I would just lay on the floor and do my breath work. <laughs> and I eventually, you know, and I'm trying to teach myself this through like 10 year old books that I had from the yoga teacher training and like YouTube tutorials of guys with really thick Indian accents and <laughs> It was very difficult. So I started actually looking into becoming a, or like doing like a retreat kind of thing. And I found a yoga teacher training that was 30 days on Vancouver Island, which is just four hours away from me. And I was like, wow, this could have been anywhere in the world and it's right here. So I guess that's a pretty good sign. And I wrote the guy a message saying like, Hey, I'm super sick with Lyme. Do you think that I could this is something I could do. And by the way, I can't afford it. And he gave me 50% off and, um, and I got through it. I really didn't know if I was going to be able to, I wasn't really able to drive long distances at that time. So I was literally like driving an hour and then resting and then driving an hour and resting. And, um, I wasn't able to get dressed every day before I went to this teacher training which was 30 days of like six hours of breath work. <laughs> and, um, and by the time I got through the 30 days, like my digestion was way better. My energy, my brain fog, like so many things had been clearing up throughout the 30 days that now I'm able to get dressed every day. I was able to start driving. I was able to drive the full four hours back home after the 30 days. Um, and I've just continued on this path for the last three years now with, um, breath work. So a lot of people out there doubt that breath work can actually have an impact in improving physical symptoms. So how would you respond to that? How can breath work actually help people relieve physical symptoms? 
Yeah, so every single system and cell of your body is functioning on oxygen. And, you know, we can eat, um, we can only survive, you know, a few days without food, a um, few days without water, but only mere minutes without breathing. It is the most important function of our body. And it's these massive detoxifying organs. Like we don't really think of when you think of detox, you don't really think of your lungs, but these are very, very powerful detoxing organs. And, um, when you're breathing, that diaphragm muscle is massaging everything beneath it. All your digestive organs get massaged your heart and, um, everything's reliant on that motion of, of your lungs for, um, the, you know, it creates electricity and keeps your heart running when you're on life support, they're putting you on a breathing machine to keep your heart pumping. You know, it's the most important function of the body. So yeah, I, um, I, I come across people all the time that are like looking at me, like I've got two heads when they're like, what are you doing that I'm not doing? I'm doing all your detox, all this stuff, like bazillion antibiotics, all these things, what are you doing that I'm not doing? And I'm like breathing, I'm breathing really well. And uh, over time as adults, we're just breathing with just 20% of our lung capacity. If you think about how we're hunched over our computers and phones all day, um, we're really getting some atrophy going on with our breathing muscles. So um, if you're doing some breath work, and you can build back these muscles, it's going to improve even your passive breathing. And um, yeah, I mean, like 20% of each breath goes into our brain and helps our cognitive function. So if you're breathing the best you could possibly breathe, it's only going to benefit every system of your body. Like there's no downside. So Jen, what are you doing today? Are you still doing any treatments or any any maintenance therapies that you're still doing today to maintain your health? And, and also before you answer that question, how, what percentage, which is a very difficult question, would you say that you are recovered from your Lyme disease? Yeah. Um, so I am doing incredibly well. I'm actually on my third month now with absolutely no Lyme symptoms. Um, Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. I'm still working to heal my gut health and I still have, um, a lot of the allergies that I developed with the slime, dairy and wheat are out for me. Um, but I am pretty much just doing things to support my immune system now. I'm still doing some detox. Um, like every Sunday I do like a full, like I clean out my sinuses and my colon <laughs> and everything. And then um, I do a liver flush every six months. Um, just to keep my body as clear of toxins as possible. And I still eat very, very clean. Um, I, to get to this point, have really just been super patient with myself, gotten super curious. And like I say, just looking at these symptoms as signposts rather than something to cover up or like be afraid of to know, like to just see them as like, oh, okay, something's going on for me. And I still have a lot of issues with histamine. So um, for the last two years now, I've been pretty functional, um, just flare ups around my menstrual cycle. And in the spring, especially with, I'm allergic to grass. So I guess when the grass gets seeded, 
I don't get typical like hay fever allergy symptoms like I used to, but like my neuro Lyme flare, like Lyme symptoms will flare up um, in the spring. So I have a Google calendar that reminds me to take my Claritin every March and I take that through the summer um, and that's helped a great deal. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking it kind of one day at a time. I'm like one of those superstitious sports fans. It's like, what was I doing when I got remission? Like, what was I wearing? <laughs> I'm going to eat that exact same thing for the rest of my life. Like, so right now, you know, three months, um, no symptoms. I feel like a newborn baby, like everything's brand new and I'm just, um, feeling it out day by day. <laughs> And I have one final question before I hand this back over to Rich, because you did mention that you are on a regular basis still doing detox practices, like you're detoxing your sinuses and you're detoxing some organs. What is involved in those in that in those processes? Because I know a lot of people listening are interested and they have sinus issues or they think their liver may be, you know, sluggish. So what are you actually doing to support those the liver, your organs and your sinuses? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I get a lot of my detox stuff from an ancient book called the Hatha Pratapika actually, but, um, neti pot. So it's like a little ceramic thing and it's very important to use distilled water. Cause, um, you know, you don't want to use tap or anything with, um, heavy metals in it. Cause our sinuses are very, very sensitive. So, um, pure, really good salt and, um, distilled water. And I do that once a week. I just like rinse out my sinuses. And if you're interested, look it up. It's N-E-T-I neti pot. And um, I do a saline or coffee enema once or twice a week, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, And then the liver flush that I do is from a book called The Amazing Liver and Gallbladder Cleanse by Andrea Moore. T-S-M-O-R-T-I-Z. And it's very intense. <laughs> I had a health coach wanting me to do it once a month for a year, but I could not hang. Um, it's seven days of either malic acid or a lot of apple juice or apples to break up the um, liver and kidney stones. And then you do a um, like the seventh day is actually the, the worst part of it, where you have to drink um, olive oil and some kind of citrus juice mixed together and then try to lay down immediately, which always seems to give me heartburn. <laughs> but it does get some things out of you. So um, I've been doing it about once every six months. So Jen, let's talk now about... Um... You're healing and journeying out loud. Uh, you've been uh, been a very active member of the social media community. You've become an author and you have become a health coach. So let's talk about how your journey through Lyme disease has brought you to these different places. Sure. So, um, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I was just completely caught off guard. I had absolutely no idea Lyme disease could be where I was, I didn't know, um, that it could cause those symptoms. It was just so shocking. And being a natural loud mouth, I was like, I need to just share this with people. So I started out just sharing it on my personal Facebook page and, um, you know, warning every single person. Like if I saw a photo of somebody standing in the grass, I would have a panic attack (laughs) and write them like three paragraphs about, what to do, um, to not get Lyme. And, um, 
my friends got really tired of that. <laughs> and um, I actually started a YouTube channel first and I was just YouTubing my experiences, not really in mind of like, this is for the entire world, but kind of just like a personal like video diary to see. So it's something I could look back on. And um, I started getting messages from people all over the world. And, you know, it just slowly progressed to me creating a business page and um, creating talks and workshops and eventually coaching packages for people because, I saw the need and I saw how my experience was truly shortening their learning curve. And, you know, and I was just like, God, if I could have talked to myself, you know, <laughs> if I had had this back then, I could have saved $50,000 in several years of my life um, of misery. So I just, I became very, very passionate about um, spreading this message, telling others about it. And, um, knowing that I got it in the military and there's thousands and thousands of troops going through those same woods without being warned and being seen by doctors that don't know anything about it. It just, you know, my, my soapbox just naturally started getting a little bit taller and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm real passionate about just doing whatever I can to, get this out in the forefront of people's minds because it's, it's not like my dad says like, Oh, I've had bug bites worse than that. I'm like, yeah, look at this bug bite now. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about the, uh, the inspiration for your book and, uh, and how the book has been received. Uh, I, I did share with you offline that it's one of our favorite books. And uh, what I like so much about your book is it's a series of essays on very important topics that are organized in a, I think in a, in a very intelligent way. Uh, but even more importantly, what I like about the book is it's written from the perspective of somebody who's been on the journey for someone that's on the journey, recognizing that they're going to be cognitive and neurological limitations that people are going to have to manage when reading this book. Yes. When I was, you know, searching for all those answers and my doctor was like, I don't know, what do you want to do? Um, I just wished I had some kind of like manual, you know, like just something simple that would explain what I need to know, um, how I can find the answers to things, you know, and I was reading all these really thick hard to read books with some serious brain fog and memory issues. And so if you take a look at my copy of um, Richard Horowitz book or Dr. Rawls book, it's like different highlights, underlines. Like I literally had a ruler on top and on bottom of each line to be able to read it. And um, it was so hard. It was so hard. It took me so long to get through this material. And, um, you know, being a researchaholic, I was doing all these research and then writing tons of notes. And I spent four years just writing tons of notes. And <laughs> I don't know what I like around the pandemic time. I was like, well, if I get COVID and die, like no one's going to see this. And I just, I had this like drive to like, just get it out there. And so I just, 
compiled all the notes together. I, I hired an editor to help me. And um, my best friend created the artwork for me. And it was really just like this little project that I just, I didn't know where it would go or how it would be received or anything, but I just, I was like, past me needed this, you know? So I created it for past me in hopes of just getting this information out to whoever needed it. And um, yeah, it's been now shipped to eight different countries. I have um, a gal in the Ukraine who has been translating my blogs for her uh, Ukrainian Lyme support group. Um, I'm just getting messages literally from all over the world from people saying like, wow, this is exactly what I needed. Um, I had a, the most recent message I got was like this gal was had Lyme for 18 years and she's like, I'm just now getting my life back thanks to this information. And um, it's just, I think it's empowered a lot of people to start taking their health into their own hands and um, looking at these doctors as partners instead of gods that know all, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy and I'm really passionate to get it into more, as many hands as possible. So Jen, let's talk about shortcuts because you, you are, um, you are almost seemingly the queen of shortcuts where you're trying to help people shortcut the mileage on this marathon that you have to run in order to be able to get yourself back to a healthy place. And sometimes when we're dealing with folks, um, on our social media and in other places, there are these complaints about what the costs are for any service. For example, we recently recommended to someone, um, one of the health coaches that we, uh, we admire. And the response was, Hey, you know, I don't have another $500 laying around. And, and my response to that was, we believe here at Take Bootcamp that you have to husband your, um, your insurance resources because they are limited. We believe that you have to husband your private pay resources because they're limited as well. But you really should be looking for shortcuts and you should be looking to people who have been on the journey who can sell you their, their tools that will bring you to mile 25, for example, on your 26 mile journey or mile five if you're at mile one. So give us your thoughts about, uh, about using your money because it's faster than time and how that's something that you can help folks with. Yeah, and I know where they're coming from. I literally spent my entire life savings and um, didn't have, you know, if I could have spent even a quarter of that on someone who was experienced and able to support me through it, it would have been, it's priceless, you know? Um, and yeah, it's like, it will cost you more time or more money. You know, you have to choose. And when it comes to your health and, um, misery, you know, pure suffering, like, I, I would pay, um, I would pay more money than time personally. Um, yeah, and I have worked very, very hard to create as many free resources as possible. Um, and you know, with my book as well, I've made it, um, as price effective as possible. And I really did take a lot of time to outline it in a way that would be helpful for even though the worst brain foggy days. So, Jen, we, we spoke with um, a uh, coach named you know, John Tubbs a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that he shared with us was that there is a downside to insurance that we hadn't thought about. 
And what he argued to us was that when you're not paying for your care, you're much more patient with the lack of results because you're not paying for it. Whereas when you're paying for your care, you're much more demanding and you generally get results much faster. What would your reaction be to John Tubbs's perspective on insurance versus private payment? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you feel more invested when you're paying for it. Um, and then you're going to show up with more of your energy. You know, if you're getting something for free, I find that even for me, it's like, oh, well, you can, it's like, well, maybe I'll show up, right? If it's like a free workshop or whatever, or free doctor's appointment, you're less anxious or like invested in that. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. I, I totally yeah, and, his, and his argument is you're less demanding and less you're, you're demanding. Must demanding on, on the providers. So mm. let's, um, you, you are the, you know, the manifestation of massive action. I mean, you, 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 ca you called almost 60 doctors when you found one doctor, um, you know, who wasn't willing to work with you. And clearly, uh, massive action is required for success. Um, and when you're taking massive action, of course, you want to have somebody to guide you through uh, the steps that you're taking because you don't want to be a whirling dervish and you're just spinning around and doing everything, right? So talk about how coaching is important. And, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm advocating for coaching as a guy who, when I first started working on this podcast, thought health coaching was, was bizarre. I had never heard of it. And, and everybody seems to be a health coach. And, and I went from not really, believing in to, not really believing in health coaching to now being an, a, a really strong advocate. So talk about what health coaches can do that doctors and other medical professionals cannot. Yeah. And same, I had a very skewed view of health coaching or any kind of coaching, um, going into this. And I have worked with many coaches in my journey. And I think it's super important because the, just going and seeing your doctor for an hour or whatever. Um, they've got so many patients, they they're looking at your chart and, you know, then they move on. If you have a health coach working with you, um, they are like in your pocket, they are there with you and they have experienced something similar to what you're experiencing. I, you know, I think everybody with Lyme has different experiences. It, it impacts us differently, but there are these key aspects that are universal. And one of those is that your friends and family can't support you in this, you know, and the emotional side, the emotional support is huge and it's so often overlooked. And, um, I think health coaching picks up that, or, you know, bridges the gap for us because yes, we do need medical doctors. We do need those, um, you know, experienced eyes looking at our charts, but the health coach side can help you like emotionally get your mind wrapped around everything and help you to take those daily actions that are required to heal and help you like give you that accountability and support that's so needed. Because I had all these doctors saying like, oh, here's 20 new things to do. It's so overwhelming. And your mind is not in a place where you can like 
actually grasped that it's hard enough to just brush your teeth and you've been doing that for 30 years. So it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a huge benefit to those who, um, you know, that's, that's available to them. And it would have changed everything for me if I, if I could have found a coach um, back, back then. So another important, I think, piece of coaching, in addition to all of the, I think, really well-defined um, elements you just outlined is when you're suffering from the neurological symptoms of Lyme disease, sometimes you need to be pushed and sometimes you're pushing yourself too far. Right. And, you know, it's really important to help somebody to have somebody help you to process when you need to be pushed. And when you shouldn't be pushing at all, and you know you you can't rely on your own experience and unfortunately your own brain during those moments as well. So having a coach to help you not only with your family and your friends and your doctors, but to help you with yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Jen, let's uh, let's um, ask you the last question we ask every one of our guests on Take Bootcamp. Uh, we need you to coach you. Th- we need you to coach us through a tick bite. So let's say I came out to Washington. Uh, to enjoy all the hot weather that you're you're having in the uh, Pacific Northwest, and um, after um, after spending some time down at the river, I came into your room and I had a tick biting me on my arm. What would you recommend that I do so that you can coach me through this process so that I would not suffer from Lyme disease? Okay, so first things first, we're going to remove the tick properly, and that's either with a tick key or really sharp tweezers. You're going to grab it as close to the skin, to the mouth part as possible and pull it directly out. Do not twist. Do not put anything on it. Um, Then, you know, we're going to bag that tick and we're going to send it in for testing because tick testing is a lot more accurate than human testing. And we're going to wash it with warm soapy water for at least 30 seconds. We're going to keep it exposed, not cover it at all. Take some photos of it. If you do see like a reaction at all, I recommend like circling it in pen and noting the time right on your skin. Um, get to a, a doctor as soon as possible. If you do see that bullseye rash or you're experiencing any of those early symptoms. Um, I like to tell people to always support the immune system while we're waiting for that tick, uh, tick, testing results. You want to really support your immune system, vitamin C, zinc, eat anti-inflammatory foods, sleep as well as you can, drink as much water as you can, um, and really nurture yourself and be on the lookout for any kind of early signs, flu-like symptoms, any of that stuff. Um, You also want to do a thorough tick check because these things tend to hunt in packs. So if you find one you could have more, check your dogs or kids, your gear. Um, I keep a lint roller next to my door and in my car. So I actually just lint roll my clothes before getting in, um, in case you picked up any hitchhikers. And yeah, that's, um, that's the spiel I usually give people. And, you know, if you do see those early signs, you want to get treatment as soon as possible. It's not something you want to screw around with at all. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Jen Hyla. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Jen Hyla, please visit her Instagram page at Jen Hyla, J-E-N-N-H-Y-L-A. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Boot Camp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, 
Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your community for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.